0: Gospel of Luke. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke with Jesus. We've been there since Christmas. We'll finish up in Easter, and we really have been taking a look the last few weeks at at this question of who Jesus is. So, if you will, open your Bibles with me and look at Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read this fabulous story of Jesus and His control over the wind and the waves. Luke chapter 8, I'm starting in verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, "'Let us go across to the other side of the lake.' "'So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. "'And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, "'and they were in danger. "'And they went, and they woke him, saying, "'Master, Master, we are perishing.' "'And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves.' And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful to be here. We ask now that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear your word. That we would come to know you and love you more deeply today. Reveal yourself to us as you love to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my family can attest to the fact that um, I like watching mysteries. Sometimes I even like reading mysteries. Uh, and, you know, we'll sit down to try and watch a movie and flip through, you know, Netflix. And I'm always, you know, oh, look, this great mystery in there. Dad, it's what you always want to watch, right? But there's just something that's just so exciting to me about a mystery story. It's that tension that runs throughout the whole thing. If it's a crime mystery, when you open up the story at the very beginning, almost always there's a body on the ground or there's a missing priceless piece of artwork. And the whole story is built on the question that's introduced at the beginning, which is who done it? That's what you're trying to figure out. And that's the question that just kind of runs in the background and creates the tension it's usually not until the very end that you get the answer to who done it. You know the disciples if you read through the gospel accounts are pretty much living in a mystery story. Because there's a question that kind of runs in the background as well of all of the gospel accounts, and it's a question that drives all of the action, it's a question that drives all of the tension, and it's a question that actually the disciples ask themselves at the very end of this story. Who is this? Who is this man? Who is this baby without an earthly father? Who is this child before whom the angels come and sing? Who is this child to whom foreign kings come and lay their gifts before him? Who is this man who speaks with the kind of authority that we've never heard before? Who is this one who heals with a word or raises the dead to life? Who is this person who can even quiet the sea? That question, who is Jesus, is, and this is no hyperbole, the most important question that has ever been asked. It is the question that our hearts yearn to have answered. It is the reason we are here. It is the reason why our lives move forward. It is the most important question of our lives. Maybe you're here and that question has been kind of ringing in the back of your head lately. You haven't really been able to answer it but you also haven't really been able to put it away. I'm really glad you're here if that's you. I would ask you to pay special attention today. Also, maybe you're here and you've been a Christian your whole life. I would also say this is a really important question for us. It's an important question to take a look at who Jesus is because it's the knowledge of who Jesus is that drives everything that we do as Christians. One of the things that's fascinating to me is that story ends with the question, who is Jesus? But it's really all throughout the story that we get the answers. So that's what we're going to look at. This story today that really answers for us this question, who is Jesus? And we'll look at it in three ways. First is that Jesus is the one in control. Secondly, that Jesus is the one who cares. And thirdly, that Jesus is the one to trust. The one in control, the one who cares, the one to trust. Let's look at that first one. Jesus is the one who's in total control. One of my favorite um, commercial series these days is the uh, the AT and T series. Uh, the you know just okay is not okay. Are you all familiar with this? And the best one by far is the one with the doctor. And it opens up, you know, it's a scene, it's a hospital room, and it's clearly this, this man who's being ready, he's being ready to go into surgery, and his wife is there with him, and the nurse is there, and his wife kind of, you know, timidly says to the nurse, have you, uh, have you ever worked with this doctor before? And she says, yeah, he's okay. And then right about that time, uh, you hear the doctor kind of in a far-off hallway, he's coming this way, and he shouts, guess who just got reinstated? And then as he walks into the the room, he says, well, not technically. (laughs) And then he looks at the patient, he says, you nervous? And the guy says, yeah. And the doctor says, yeah, me too. (laughs) And then he says, ah, it'll be all right. I'll see you in there. Doesn't really instill a lot of confidence, does it? It's not really what you want if you're going in for surgery, because if you're going in for surgery, you want the best. You want somebody who's totally calm and cool and collected. You want somebody who's in complete control to be behind the scalpel. I and mean, that's who we want, you know, at the end of the basketball game too, right? When there's three seconds left on the clock. You want the guy who's totally in control and is completely calm and has nerves of steel. That's whose hands you want the ball in. You know, Jesus actually shows himself to be exactly that guy in this passage that he is in complete control the whole time. You see it when we open up the passage, actually. This can sometimes slip through the cracks, but who's the one who says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake? It's Jesus, isn't it? He's actually driving the story ahead the whole time. Jesus is actually the one who takes his disciples across the lake where he may have even already seen the storm brewing. And then what happens while the storm is going on? Jesus is asleep. It's okay to smirk a little when you read that because it's kind of funny. There's some deep humorous irony going on is that in this tempest that's raging and everybody's going crazy on this boat and Jesus is asleep, there is no more calm and collected state than being asleep. And then how do we finish the story? Is Jesus actually calming the waves simply with a word. Jesus from beginning to middle to end is in total control. There is not a time in the story that Jesus is not in total control. Psalm 104 that Alyssa read for us earlier has some beautiful proclamations about who God is. And there was a little portion in there, maybe you heard it, that's talking actually about the flood account in Genesis. And how God actually brought the waters of the flood out, and then he rebuked those waters, and they receded. If you were a pious Jew, and you were listening to Luke write this gospel, you would have drawn a very clear line from Jesus' rebuke of the wind and the waves to God's rebuke of the floods in Genesis. It's very clear to see who is on display here. It's the one who has the ultimate power over all things. It's the one who brings the waters and the rain. It's the one who is Lord of the wind and the waves. It's the one who is in total control of all of it. Friends, the beautiful truth is displayed here first for us is that the things that bring forth fear, utter fear for these men, these disciples, and for us, they are no cause of concern for Jesus. You know, the sea was a terrifying place, Uh, If you're picturing in your mind kind of the the storybook, picture Bible version of this story, you need to get that out of your mind. Because we oftentimes think of, you know, a cute little boat, and it's sitting on top of some waves, and here's Jesus and his disciples gathered around with kind of half smiles, waking him saying, hey, we're in trouble. It's not that nice. The Sea of Galilee is where they are, and um, meteorologically speaking, this is uh, a place that actually can create pretty big storms. It's above sea level, but it's sunk down in the middle of this valley with mountains all around. And this is all the science up here is above my pay grade. But what I'm told is that that is the kind of uh, opportunity for storms to arise quickly. Kind of like being in the mountains in the Rocky Mountain National Park. I was told once of a storm that came in and dropped 50 degrees in less than 30 minutes. That's the kind of thing that can happen on these lakes like this. And as a big lake with big winds coming in and this this drop in temperature and this change in weather, big storms can come up very quickly. Add to that the fact that, you know, there's, there's probably a decent chance that this is in the middle of the night. Remember, these are fishermen. There's a good chance they're out there fishing and fishing, the best fishing is in the middle of the night. So the storm is happening. There's a chance it's even dark at the time of the storm. And add to that the fact that the sea for ancient people, was a tremendously frightening place. For the ancients, you know, really the sea was the place where there was the most kind of untamed chaos. The ancient Greeks called the sea the, the place of no return. It was that place that drew deep fear. And what you see in this story are our, our professional, hardened fishermen guys that are used to being out on the ocean in boats, and they are deeply afraid. They're terrified. But what strikes fear into the heart of people like you and me is no cause for concern for Jesus because he's in total and utter control over all of it. There is no point at which Jesus is out of control in this story And there is no point in which Jesus is out of control in your life. Do you know that? There is no point in which Jesus is not sitting on his throne in complete sovereign control of all things. There is nothing in the world that is outside of his power. There is nothing that happens that is outside of his care. There is nothing in all of creation that is outside of his good rule. Jesus is always in control. That's the first thing that we learn about Him. Who is Jesus? He's the one in control. Secondly, and these are really important things to hold together. not only is Jesus the one who's in control, but he's also the one who cares. Jesus is the one who cares for his disciples. He's the one who cares for his people. Another little point that can sometimes be lost in this, excuse me, in this story is that Jesus is actually working an act of salvation. We often look at this story and we go, okay, maybe it's a cute little trick. Jesus calms the wind and the waves. Or maybe if we're more spiritual, we think, okay, this is Jesus displaying his power. This is Jesus proving himself to be God. That is, of course, true. But what's also true is this is Jesus saving these disciples from utter destruction. This is Jesus who cares, actually caring for his people in this. In verse 24, uh, the disciples who come to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Jesus, we are going to die. There's uh, the parallel in Mark who tells this story as well. Uh, He puts a few different words on the disciples' lips and he says, uh, the disciples say, Jesus, we're going to die. Don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're about to die? Have you ever wrestled with that question before? I saw a movie one time, I don't even remember the movie, but this image just stuck with me for so long. It was a man who was sitting down to write, and he was sitting down at this table to write, and it was kind of an old you know, fountain pen where you had to dip the pen into the inkwell, and he was writing this beautiful letter. And uh, it was really eloquent, beautiful handwriting, and really clear writing. You could kind of hear it going, and it was beautiful language, and everything made sense, and it was really wonderful. And then something hit the inkwell, and the ink just spilled all over the page. And it was this image of just this ink just running all over, and it was, um, it was covering all of these words, and you couldn't see the words anymore. You couldn't see the beauty what was once clear and made a lot of sense and was really wonderful uh, was we just kind of disappeared into the background. You know, I think there are times in our lives we can really feel that. Like something is so overwhelming, a storm comes into our lives, and all of the things that once made sense to us don't make sense anymore. All of the things that once were clear in our minds have kind of disappeared All of the things that once were beautiful have just become dull. Now, that can happen, you know, in in little ways. Spouse is out of town and you're positive that your children have hired a hitman to kill you. Or it can happen in really big ways in the brokenness of families, in the woundings from a child, in a diagnosis, in a loss. The times where it feels like the storms just rage and rage and rage. And you know, they can come from the inside and they can come from the outside. For these disciples, they come from both places. I mean, let's not look past the fact that this is a boat filled with men who eventually are either going to be exiled or killed, probably all of them. Their families are going to leave them. Their friends are going to reject them. They're going to be kicked out of the church for what they believe These are people who are going to experience some pretty serious and severe external storms. But they're going to come internal too. (laughs) Peter's going to deny Jesus. A couple of these other disciples are going to argue with one another and with Jesus about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Peter, at some point, even after Jesus has been raised and ascended, uh, he, he won't share his dinner table with people on the basis of race. And he has to be rebuked for it. These are guys that experience some external and some internal storms, either because of the sinfulness of the world around them, the brokenness of the world and being sinned against, or the sin that is pouring out of their own hearts. They're going to experience it, and so are we. It is probably, there probably will be a time in your life, if you've not already experienced this yet, There will be a time in your life where you will feel like saying the same thing to Jesus. You know what? I'm in the midst of a storm. It feels like you've checked out and gone to sleep. Don't you care? Don't you care? Friends, the truth of the matter is that Jesus does. I watched a little clip of Jeff Bezos, who's the CEO of Amazon, and he was leading them through their annual shareholders meeting. This is the annual Amazon shareholders meeting, and Bezos, who's not only the CEO, but, um, but I think still now the richest man in America, was uh, taking questions and kind of leading them through the normal stuff that happens in a shareholders meeting, uh, what about our profitability, uh, what's the direction of this company, that sort of thing. And even taking some questions kind of like, you know, hey, how does driving these cars around everywhere, how does that impact, you know, greenhouse emissions? And what's Amazon going to do about those things? Sometimes some big uh, questions that didn't have anything to do with the bottom line of their company. But in the midst of it all, uh, this, this woman in the audience stands up to ask a question, and she has this little package with her, and she stands up and she says, I have a question. Can you help me return this? She's got something she bought off of Amazon, and she can't figure out how to return it, and she's asking Jeff Bezos if he'll help her return her Amazon purchase. This is the CEO of the company, richest man in the country. She wants wants him to help her with her return, maybe to get to the post office or something. And Bezos really handles it well. He kind of laughs it off. It's a funny moment. He actually tells her they'll take care of it, but it, it brings up, I think, a great question for us, is that... What does it mean to have so much power and to then be asked to care for something so minute? And the answer is so beautiful, isn't it? Is that Jesus, who is the most powerful CEO in the world, cares enough to listen to our small complaints, He cares enough to listen to our small desires. He cares enough to enter into uh, the things that we struggle with in our lives. He cares enough to listen. Friends, there are going to be times where you feel like Jesus has led you into, the st- into a storm. And let me just be honest. There are going to be times where Jesus does lead you into a storm. And it's going to feel sometimes like he doesn't care. That could be nowhere further from the truth. This is the one who has given himself for you. He is the one who cares for you more deeply than anybody else in the world. This is the one whose power and greatness exceed all others, yet his personal care is real and true. All right, let's look at the third thing. Who is Jesus? Not only is he the one who's in control, and he's the one who cares, but he is also the one to trust. Jesus asks a question of his disciples here that's a really helpful question for us. Before they're the ones asking this question, who is Jesus? He's asking this question of them, which is, where is your faith? Where is your faith in the midst of all of this? If you read books on a Kindle, like I do from time to time, you'll know that you you have the ability to kind of highlight things on your Kindle And you may not know this, but that's connected to the internet so that everybody else can actually see what you're highlighting. And Amazon keeps track of all of these things. They keep track of how many passages are highlighted and which passages are highlighted. And the most highlighted passage on Kindle is a passage from the second book of The Hunger Games. In fact, this is twice as many highlights as any other passage in any other Kindle book. And this is the sentence. Sometimes things happen to people, and they're not equipped to deal with them. That's the phrase that resonates with more people than anything else. Sometimes things happen, and people are not equipped to deal with those things. There's a reason why that's highlighted a lot, is because that's real stuff, Maybe some of you have asked that question, have underlined and highlighted kind of that question in your lives at times. And it's a good question for us too, isn't it? When the things happen in our lives that we're not prepared to deal with, where is our faith? Where do we turn? Where do we go? You know, something really interesting happens here in this story, and it's happened actually in uh, the three passages that we've looked at the last three weeks. It's this concept of fear that comes up with the disciples. Peter, remember back when Jesus brings in that wonderful catch of fish, Peter is immediately afraid. All of the disciples, when they see what Jesus has done, they're afraid. What we looked at last week, uh, when Jesus raises that widow's son, the immediate response of the crowd around is fear. They were once afraid of death. Now they're afraid of the one who has the power over death. And that's the response here too from the disciples, isn't it? See, they were once deeply afraid of the wind and the waves and this, uh, you know, turrent that's going on around them. This incredible storm that they're caught in. But what's more fearful than the storm? It's the one who has power over the storm. What they realize is that the real power is not even out there. It's in the boat with them. And so the real thing to be afraid of is not the wind and the waves. It's the one who created the wind and the waves. Friends, they're right. It is right to have some fear, some awe of who Jesus is. But here's the really, really important point that I want you to get. Is that when fear actually begins to be married to care, when we see that control and that power, and it's married to care and love, what you get is trust. See, when the one that you fear is actually using his power to pour out for, onto you in love, well, that is someone you want to follow, isn't it? When you see the one who has ultimate power, and that power is actually being used on your behalf, well that's a game changer. I remember being a kid, maybe you do this time and the first time you really kind of recognized you know your dad's strength. I remember that we had a boat growing up, and sometimes you know he'd park the boat on a trailer in the driveway, and then sometimes you had to maneuver you know the trailer around in the driveway, and so he'd just pick up the trailer and push the boat, which isn't really all that hard. you know. But when you're seven years old and you see somebody pushing the boat, you're like, That's, he's like Superman. He's the strongest person in the world. He's pushing a boat around in my driveway. That's incredible. But what's incredible is seeing the power and knowing that that power is at work for your good. It's not just there's someone strong, it's there's my dad who uses his strength for my benefit. There's my dad who uses his power to protect me. There is the one who is not only infinitely strong, but uses that infinite strength for my benefit. The disciples are just slowly starting to get this. In fact, they won't totally get it for the rest of the gospel. Listen to the end. We're gonna skip ahead to the end just real quick in Luke 24. You can turn there if you want. Something pretty amazing happens. Jesus actually shows back up in Luke 24. The risen Christ meets some of these disciples on the road going to Emmaus. Let me read some of that for you. This is Luke 24. I'm starting at verse 13. That very day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. That's Jesus' death and resurrection. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said, What's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you talk? And they stood still, and they said, uh, One of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said, What things? And they said to him, Well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, we had hoped he'd be the one to redeem Israel. Beside all of this it's now the third day since these things happened, and moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they, they didn't find his body, and they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then Jesus says to them in verse 25, "'Foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?' And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them on all the Scripture the things concerning himself. And as they walked on, Jesus ends up disappearing from them, and they start to talk together. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us on the road? And as they rose, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, saying, the Lord has risen, and they told him what happened You know, there's fear that actually comes up with these men. They're afraid of Jesus. They see him and they're amazed because they aren't really sure what's going on. But what happens actually to these men as Jesus explains who he is. He explains what he has done. He explains that actually his power has been poured out on their, benefit, on their behalf for their benefit. That he has actually given himself up so that they might be forgiven of their sin. And something amazing happens to these men. Their fear turns to joy, to worship, to trust. Friends, the same thing happens for us. When we can recognize both the power, the control of Jesus, that He is the Lord over the winds and the waves and the sea and all things, and at the same time see His incredible care for us, his love, his mercy, that that power has been poured out on our benefit, that that great strength is given to protect us from our greatest enemies, that that great power and strength has even been laid down for us so that we might have life. That is when we move from fear to trust. Let me just call us to that today. Remind us of who Jesus is. Sometimes it's those of us who've been sitting in church pews all of our lives that need to be reminded the most because we forget the really clear, really plain, really wonderful truths that Jesus is one we can trust, that when the difficulties of life arise, whether they're internal or external, that there is one that we can go to. He's one with the power to handle it. He's one with the will to come in and handle it as well. He is the one that we can turn to. Let's turn to him today. We pray with me? Father, we're thankful for what we've read, that we're able to wrestle through this extremely important question. Who is this man? Jesus, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we might actually come to know Jesus more deeply so that we might respond in love, in trust, in worship, in joy. We ask that you would work these things in us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.